Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, July 3rd. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We get the mayor's thoughts on parade day this year with no parade taking place and stampede canceled due to the pandemic. The coronavirus crisis may have put the brakes on the stampede, but the spirit of the event lives on. For many donut drive throughs pancake breakfasts, and even fireworks, details on a handful of events taking place around the city. We followed the journey of Brazilian cowboy Felipe Mazzetti Leite for weeks now. Felipe is the 2020 Calgary Stampede Parade Marshal who has traveled the globe on his horse over the past eight years. We speak with Felipe as he arrives in downtown Calgary. The U.S. continues to set daily records of new cases of COVID-19. We get the latest on the situation south of the border with Global's Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. And finally, how are social distancing, low oil prices and rising unemployment rates affecting the local housing market? We check in with realtor Justin Haver. This is normally where we would check in with Danielle Smith, brought to you by River's Edge Villa Bungalows in Cochrane. Call to book your private appointment. Show homes now open. We'll check in with her next hour. Instead, on the line, we have sporting his cowboy hat today on what should be Stampede Parade Day is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. I'm a bit creeped out that we're on the phone and you know that I'm wearing my cowboy hat. Oh, you didn't know about that camera. <laughs> no, I saw you on <laughs> I saw you on global television already this morning. Ah, yes. So I yes, know, so I know I'm wearing my I'm wearing my full on gear um, because we you know, Stampede twenty twenty got quite cancelled. There you go. Because as they're telling us community spirit can't be cancelled. So I'm encouraging everyone to break out their boots and hats uh, for the next ten days and remind ourselves about our great community. Mayor, we talked to Leslie Horton, who's on the parade route with, uh, of course, Felipe Mazzetti Leite, our parade marshal. And uh, she was indicating, you know, we knew this day would come. We knew that uh, today would be a, a bitter pill to swallow, but really it does, you know, come to, uh, you know, reality today. So how are you feeling? Look, I'm, I'm very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm allowing myself to be very sad personally, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, riding that horse at the front of the parade, uh, has always been a dream, and this would have been my 10th time doing it. Um, and it, it sort of came up on us quickly, right? Because it was just, it's an early stampede post-candidate. The third is the earliest day you can have stampede. And uh, so suddenly, after candidate, I, last night, I was like, oh, I, I got to go find my hat and my boots <laughs> and get ready. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sad about it personally. I'm sad about it for the community because there's so many people who have been reminding me Two weeks after the flood, come hell or high water, we were here. Yeah. But the pandemic uh, did stop us for the first time in more than 100 years. Um, and, of course, the economic impact is huge, right? The stampede is about a half a billion dollars, about $500 million economic impact to the city. So for those restaurants and hotels that have already been hurting, this is just another blow. So we need to get out there. We need to, as you say, get into the stampede spirit as best we can and and support our local businesses, hotels, restaurants, all of it. But on that note, you know, we're still waiting for stage three to happen. When do you suspect that might be? It seems that we're doing pretty well in terms of the numbers. Well, we're ticking up again. Um, We've had an outbreak uh, in the last couple of days in another long-term care center that makes me very nervous. Um, And, you know, stage Let's put it this way. The difference in your life between stage two and stage three is probably not that big. But the difference in terms of the ability for us to have more outbreaks is pretty big. So I'm not in a rush here. Uh, I think that 
We just want to really make sure we're doing everything we can. And I know I say it every week, right, to prevent uh, the pandemic from growing or from a second wave from coming. And that's that's really up to us. Um, physical distancing. I won't say an Andy and a half. I'll say 36 <laughs> mini donuts apart uh, or six feet apart. Uh, washing your hands. But the real big one that we're doing a lousy job at here in Calgary is you got to wear a mask when you're on transit, when you're in stores. We really got to do it. And if people aren't doing it, then stage three will get even further away. Okay. You know, uh, you managed to slip the insult in still without slipping the insult in. I appreciate it. Uh, but uh, before we uh, let By you... By the way, you'll be happy to know I say it about Chief Samson too when I'm with him. And <laughs> okay. going, I am okay, not okay. actually four feet tall. Okay, it's a standard line. Uh, just uh, because we might be having the odd uh, socially distanced backyard barbecue to, to keep that stampede spirit alive, we have to clear up the uh, yearly question. Is it to Yahoo or Yeehaw? Oh, come on. Andrew. Well, I know really, you know, but no, 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 I, I've been educated, but there's people out there who might be having their little backyard barbecues. It is Yahoo. Okay. It is always Yahoo. It is never Yeehaw. Why? <laughs> because I'm the mayor and I say so. Oh, okay. oh that's what, okay. I was wondering why. There, That's the official <laughs> one. And also, hey, before we let you go, I want to say congratulations. Best of Calgary out with their best of named best politician, Nahed Nenshi. Oh, thank you very much. I will tell you, I was sad last year when they got rid of the sexiest Calgarian uh, category. Uh, and you can't win them said, all, Mayor. Well, as I always said, you don't cancel the Oscars just because Merrill always wins, right? But <laughs> they just felt that my they felt that my streak was just yeah. too long. But thanks very much. <laughs> One liner after another. This You're morning. not kidding. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Have a great uh, Stampede Happy first stampede, weekend. Everyone. Happy local Stampede, everyone. Happy Stampede. Stay safe. Take you, care. You betcha. That's Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 747 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master plan community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. 812 on your Friday morning and today marks the first day of what would have been the 2020 Calgary Stampede. Discussing the impacts of COVID-19 on the greatest outdoor show on earth and Calgary's economy, we're joined this morning by the communications manager for the Stampede, Christina Barnes. Hi, Christina. Good morning. Uh, definitely a bit of a bittersweet day. We should be talking about, you know, what day we're going to be down hanging out at the barns with you and watching all the, the riders prepping for, you know, all the events that are going on on the grounds. Unfortunately, not to be happening this year. What's the economic reality of this decision for Stampede? You know, I think it's tough. It's tough for the Stampede, but it's tough for the whole city. There are so many... Uh, so many businesses and groups tied into what the stampede is and that's what the celebration is, but it, it's hard for all of us. Um, and I think that's the, part of why we wanted to try to have a little bit of uh, stampede spirit and a little bit of stampede activities engaging local businesses. And that's where we're seeing the YYC food trucks, part of the food truck rallies, um, the mini donut drive through you know, trying to help those businesses that would normally see that boost from stampede time. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping the spirit alive, doing our own maybe stampede barbecues in the backyard, socially distanced, of course, uh, Christina. But I, I want to take it back a bit. Several weeks ago, when the decision was made to put the brakes on the 2020 uh, edition, as an insider in the inner circle of the Calgary Stampede, can you tell us what those conversations were like and, and how hard it was to, to go back and forth with making this decision? You know, and I wasn't that close inside, but certainly part of uh, what was going on. And, and I think it isn't a decision any of us wanted to make um but unfortunately just given the circumstances and, and given the 
the uh, restrictions on gatherings, it was something that had to be done, and it is the right decision. We couldn't have large groups of people come together at this time, and we really still can't. And that's, um, again, pointing to those activities that we have created. We really do encourage people to enjoy them and get together and stampede, but not come too close to each other, making sure that we're still following all those distancing guidelines and, you know, staying safe. The economics of it, very difficult mm-hmm. for everyone, for sure. The city, all the folks that work at Stampede normally. What are you guys doing, though, to try and make sure that the city of Calgary still has a little bit of Stampede spirit going on? I know there's some uh, fireworks tonight. We've got Stampede breakfast. Give us a little bit of the rundown. You bet. Well, Andrew mentioned, uh, you know, Stampede in your backyard if you can. Have a pancake breakfast for your, uh, you know, close family and friends. Uh, see if you can get together with some neighbors that safely, of course, and celebrating, uh, you know, Stampede spirit and supporting local businesses. But when it comes to actual Stampede activities, we try to offer a taste of Stampede. So mini donut drive throughs coming up through the week um, starting on Monday. We do a food truck rally uh, at Stampede Park over this coming weekend, um, but also throughout the city, throughout the whole week. So get those favorites that you uh, normally get during Stampede time, all those uh, wacky foods on a stick. And, you know, favorites like corn dogs and uh, cotton candy. Also, pancake breakfast. So I should tell you, we announced yesterday that it would be a pancake breakfast, um, uh, community pancake breakfast presented by GMC happening tomorrow morning at Crossfire Mills. And we've asked people to pre-register, and that is almost completely full. So if you're into going to a pancake breakfast through the Stampede Week, I would suggest uh, the BMO Kids Day drive through breakfast, which is an all-day breakfast. Try to pre-register for that. Um, and also another one coming up next weekend that we're just uh, announcing today. So the next weekend at South Center Mall. Um, so please, if you want your pancakes, those are the best way to do it. And if you pre-register, we know you're coming. You have a spot and your food is hot and ready for you when you get there. Christina, for, for many of us, there's 10 days to, to celebrate our heritage and our roots and let our hair down. Uh, but for you, within the Stampede, uh, with your coworkers and the many volunteers, it's got to be tough because this was 10 days where you guys all come together and, and uh, for the common good of the city of Calgary. Tell us about how hard that has been to, to not see the familiar faces. Well, and that's the, that's the best part of the job is, is the people that we work with and the volunteers that are so passionate about the Stampede and about supporting the city and the community and that we haven't been together um, but we are having a little fun this morning, and I know you guys have mentioned catching up with our friend Felipe and, and having a bit of that stampede spirit, and it is bringing back some of those good feelings, mixing in with some of that disappointment. But again, looking forward to the time that we can gather again together again. Um, so looking forward to 2020 and uh, good times ahead. It is going to be bigger and better next year, no doubt about it. So, Christina, when people want to register for their pancake breakfast, they do it at calgarystampede.com, right? You bet. I should have said that. Thank you so much, Sue. Calgarystampede.com. Um, there's a link right on the main page, and it takes you to all of the different events that you can uh, enjoy. Should mention fireworks tonight at 11 o'clock, bigger and higher than normal fireworks. So if you can see the city skyline, you should be able to see those fireworks. So find a safe spot away from the crowds. Hopefully it's your backyard and enjoy the show. Yahoo. Thanks for joining us, Christina. Thanks so much. That's Christina Barnes, communications manager for the Calgary Stampede. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a community connected to its city. And we are following our parade marker.
Marshall through through Bones right now. Eastbound on Bones Road is, uh, is a very slow drive. So if you normally take this out towards 16th Avenue, you might want to consider uh, going up towards Nose Hill Drive and then taking Stony Trail down towards 16th Avenue to bypass these delays. Uh, it looks like the, they're going to be making their way down towards Parkdale Boulevard and eventually Memorial Drive. So a little bit later on, maybe in the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to want to watch for uh, rolling lane closures or rolling uh, closures along those routes as well. So far, though, seeing light volume on uh, routes like Crowchild Trail, Deerfoot is still moving fine through both the southeast and the northeast. See Glenmore Trail, a, a nice drive eastbound from Sarcy Trail out towards Deerfoot. That'll be about eight minutes. The Big Spin $5 scratch ticket is here, and you could spin the big wheel for a chance to win $500,000. Available at your lottery retailer. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. Perfect song. He was Alberta bound. Uh, he made it to our province and now in our city. Stampede Thank 2020 you. may have been canceled, but if it was happening, Thank the parade you. would be today. <laughs> we're speaking with the 2020 Calgary Stampede Parade Marshal on what it would have been the kickoff. Well, we're joined yeah. by Felipe Mazzetti Leite. Good morning again, Felipe. Good morning. How are you? It sounds like How a party. Yeah. Des describe where you are right now and what you're seeing, Felipe. So right now we're trying to cross a crosswalk and my horses are like, what's a crosswalk? Because <laughs> we are used to like bears and moose and rivers, but crosswalk is new for uh, Mac and Smokey here. We have people on the streets, just amazing people coming out to say hello and, and videotape us. And it's just... Uh, it's amazing, guys. I'm just having the time of my life out here. Felipe, we've been, you know, sad for you that the, the Stampede Parade wasn't happening this year, but it sounds like you're you're still getting the love that you're due for being the Parade Marshal. What does it mean to you to be named this Parade Marshal, you know, even though we're in a bit of a different year this time around? Uh, it means the world to me. Like I said, I, I love this, you know, this rodeo and what it means for Western culture and, and what it means for our world, you know. This is going to ensure that I can teach my son how to ride a horse and, and teach him about the, the values that I've learned. So to be the parade marshal of the Calgary Stampede is just the biggest honor of my life. <laughs> we know what you're doing. Uh, you know, we can hear the clomp uh, of the uh, hooves on the concrete <laughs> trying to cross crosswalks. Uh, what's, what's the day hold for you? Because I understand it's not just this morning, but you're going to be hanging around. Yes, sir. So we're riding the Stampede Park, and there's going to be a ceremony there in the infield when we arrive at noon. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, there's going to be people that have helped me uh, through this journey, and uh, I'm just so happy. I can't wait to get there, but I want to ensure that I enjoy these last few kilometers. You know, I hope it lasts like three years in my mind because it's so special. Drink it in for sure. Enjoy every moment of it. To give you a little chance to plug the book that you've written uh, talking about your travels, Felipe. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. The book is called Long Ride to the End of the World. It tells the story of my second journey from Brazil to Ushuaia, the southern tip of South America. And it's actually free. The ebook is free today on Amazon. So make sure you download it. Have you had a pancake yet today, Felipe? <laughs> I have not had a pancake yet. What? I woke up at 3 a.m. 
so I'm, Dana Pierce is next to me, the president of the Calgary Stampede. Dana, where's my pancake, man? Come on. <laughs> Dana said he's going to give me a pancake with extra syrup. So, And Clara, my girlfriend from Argentina, is addicted to maple syrup. She'll just drink it out of the bottle. So I'm going to have to keep her away from my pancake. <laughs> Honestly, don't they know who you are? You should have had at least a couple of plates of pancakes already. Make sure you chow down. And thank you so much for joining us, Felipe. You've been a wonderful example of what the Calgary Stampede is all about. So congratulations being the 2020 Calgary Stampede Parade Marshal. Thank you so much. Good stuff, Felipe. Uh, all the best. Uh, and uh, if, if uh, you know, uh, I know our uh, crew from Global TV will be mm-hmm. down there for the noon, uh, you know, Stampede Park arrival. Exactly. That Very cool. Is our marshal. That is Felipe Massetti Leite. 608 now. What do potential home sellers, buyers, and renters need to know as they navigate the housing market post-pandemic? To find out, we're checking in with Justin Haver of Justin Haver & Associates Remax First. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Sue and Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. Justin, we want to talk to you about the changes to CMHC, but first, let's take the temperature of the real estate industry in Calgary. How would you describe it right now and moving forward at this point? You know, obviously... Uh Post-COVID shutdown, our real estate market has kind of experienced a little bit of a stampede with activity, which is really, yeah, which has been you know really good for for the marketplace overall. In June, we saw pretty much the same number of sales as we saw in June of 2019, so that's pretty promising. Now, we are starting to see more and more listings come onto the market, obviously with the shutdown from the pandemic. Not a lot of people wanted to put their house up for sale because obviously uh, with the virus floating around there, nobody really wants to have uh, the exposure to that. So it's uh, overall, I mean, uh, starting to see some uh, obviously positive signs from the uh, historic lows that we saw in April and May. Good. So, Justin, it seems to me like earlier this year we were describing it as a buyer's market. Is that still the case at this point? You know, overall, uh, it's it's still a buyer's market because there is obviously downward pressure on pricing. So any seller that's uh, looking to put their house on the market has to price it in the market to, you know, be attractive. As for, you know, there are certain segments in the marketplace that is very, very active, especially under 600,000. And because of, you know, less inventory out there, it is creating, you know, quite a few bidding wars uh, in the four to $500,000 price range. Wow, interesting. Okay, so that's good. So things are looking up for anybody buying or selling, I guess, at this point. But so talk to us about uh, you know, some of the different ways that we can look at homes if we're interested without having to go in or have people in our home if we wish. Yes, and you know, uh, obviously the internet is huge uh, for the, uh, the buyer experience uh, here in 2020 and uh, even more so with the pandemic uh, impacting all of us. So now home buyers, obviously, the first showing is essentially online. There's uh, many uh, technologies that's being applied to the marketing aspect of the properties. Uh, we at Justin Howard Associates with Remax First, we do a 3D interior scan of every property that we list. This allows then for the home buyers sitting in the comfort of their home to virtually walk through the property and perhaps that could eliminate a lot of unnecessary showings for the uh, homeowners, reducing the risk and exposure to the virus, yet 
fewer showings, but of more serious qualified buyers because they've already seen the property virtually. Justin, let's talk about the weird time that we're in, and not just uh, COVID-19, but we have historic, if not near historic, low uh, interest rates for those uh, you know wanting to buy a home. But at the same time, uh, new rules released, uh, I believe, July 1st for CMHC are going to change the game uh, as well a bit for people wanting to get into the market. So what do you know about these new rules for CMHC, and who do they benefit, and who, who will they hamper a bit? Well, first and foremost, it's uh, impacting anyone that is uh, purchasing with less than 20% down. As uh, a rule here in Canada, every mortgage needs to be insured if you do put less than 20% down. So the first thing that uh, CMHC uh, rolled out here for the new policy change effective July 1st was the credit score for one borrower. It needs to be minimum 680. Uh, previously, it was minimum 600. Now, the big one is the debt servicing ratios went from 39.44 to 35.42. This means that 35% of your gross monthly income can go to your living expenses, such as mortgage, property taxes, heat, condo fees, etc., and 42% can go towards all debts, including living and any loans, credit cards, and so forth. Uh, you can also no longer borrow money for your down payments um you know that wasn't necessarily a big impact but the biggest impact is the debt servicing ratio so for example if you have a household income of one hundred thousand dollars uh pre-july 1st you would qualify for four hundred ninety-two thousand, and after july 1st you would qualify for four hundred thirty-five thousand. now i'll say that there are other options out there for mortgage insurers. It's not just CMHC, so it is not going to have as big of an impact as we initially thought it would have because the two other mortgage uh, insurers did not follow the same policy as CMHC rolled out. So if you do go with CMHC, does that, is it to, I guess I'm, I'm, I don't really quite get on all the numbers. So is it, when you go with CMHC, is it just to ensure that you're able to afford the home is the bottom line, right? Yeah. So basically what CMHC will do is they will, they get the mortgage from the lender or the bank and they will basically run their own qualification to ensure that they will ensure the mortgage that the bank is lending to the consumer. Okay. I've never heard of other, uh, you know, uh, competition when it comes to CMHC. Can you tell us about those avenues? Is it a better deal to go with something like that, or is it a, just a personal case-by-case uh, basis? You know, this really uh, comes down to the bank or the borrower. So most of the major banks, they uh, have to allocate a certain number of loans to CMHC, which is Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Mm-hmm. The other two mortgage insurers are Genworth Financial and Canada Guarantee. So there are definitely options out there. Good stuff. I had no idea. I didn't know that either. So there are options. And so do you, you, you just talk to your realtor, I'm assuming then, right? I mean, your realtor is going to lead you in the right direction, hopefully, as, as to which one you should go to. Yes, your realtor or your mortgage broker. Obviously, mortgage brokers have many different financial institutions and different kind of product. They, they can pitch to the consumers and depending on the consumers needs and so forth they can ensure that they will align them with the best mortgage options so how many people let's uh, move into the fact that we're in the summer now um is, is this typically a time where it's a good time to 
look at selling your home or buying a new home versus the fall? Because I know that some people might be still <laughs> typically looking at going on holidays. Maybe not the case this year. Or is it just tough to predict in a, in a COVID summer? Well, you know what? Uh, I don't know if anyone wants to really predict what the rest of 2020 is going to be like. Mm-hmm. If we kind of got thrown for a curveball here this year. Uh, historically, obviously, most of the the uh, activities in spring and summer, and then it kind of tapers off in the fall. But uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, great momentum in the marketplace now as they're reducing the um, the guidelines for social distancing and so forth. So in our industry, we're seeing, you know, more showing activity out there right now than we saw this time last year. So hopefully this is a trend that kind of continues on. Obviously, there's, uh, you know, big concerns about uh, what's happening in the economy, both with the COVID-19 as well as, you know, the collapse in the energy sector. Well, thank you for breaking down the real estate picture for us, Justin. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. You have a great weekend. That is Justin Haver of Justin Haver and Associates Remax First. You can check him out at justinhaver.com. Sounds more positive than I thought. I know. I'm surprised That's by that. That's great news. Nice to hear somebody in the know give us some uh, some positive news, particularly yeah. if you have to sell right now for sure. Coming up to, well, it is 617. Time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. You will find a home that fits your lifestyle. Beautiful start to the drive on Deerfoot Trail. You've got a nine-minute drive southbound from Stony Trail down towards Memorial. And then northbound lanes also running at about nine minutes from Stony Trail up towards 17th Avenue. Stony Trail, a great option throughout the east side of the city, nice and light in both directions. If you're coming in from Chestermere, taking a look at the Trans-Canada westbound from Stony Trail out towards Deerfoot, that's sitting delay-free so far. Same with your other major northeast routes like 32nd Avenue, McKnight Boulevard, Métis Trail, all seeing a problem-free drive. Leon Save the Tax event is on now. Find incredible savings throughout the showroom, plus save the tax even on sale prices on all furniture and mattresses. Leon's.ca for details. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. It is 9.08 on the morning news, and beekeepers are worried about catastrophic losses to bee populations across the province. Thanks to cold weather and the effects of the global pandemic. To talk about what this means, we're joined by the Executive Director of the Alberta Beekeepers Commission, Connie Phillips. Good morning to you, Connie. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Thank you very much for taking the time. Let's uh, start with the the past, and that is the winter. Can you estimate the number of bees lost across the province over the winter months? Um, Right now, anecdotally, we're anticipating up to 60% loss. So across the province, it would range anywhere from 20% in some areas as high as 90% in others. And why why is it this particular past winter? Was it that, that much colder or are there other factors involved? Well, it, it, it actually was a fairly mild winter. Um, however, as we got into April, I'm sure everyone remembers uh, there was a couple of pretty cold weeks in April. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty hard on some of the bees. And then also um, with the uh, pandemic, it, it created some additional factors that just created additional stressors. So, And one of those would be the late arrival of the skilled workers coming in from different countries like Mexico and Nicaragua and the Philippines. Um, and the beekeepers will need that help and support in the early part of the season 
to uh, feed the bees as they're waking up and coming out of their, not really waking up, but coming out of their hives as the weather warms up. So as I'm sure as everybody's aware, in the early part of the spring, there really is no forage, which requires the bees to be fed to get ready for the rest of the season. Okay. I would have never thought about the Mm -hmm. pandemic influence on the bees. Uh, Connie, how do we stack up across the nation as a province when it comes to the bee and beekeeping industry? Well, in Alberta, um, we are the largest beekeeping jurisdiction in Canada and also the largest honey producer. And in addition to um, producing honey, uh, honeybees are are very important in the role of, of pollination ac- across the province, both contracted pollination and incidental pollination. So what is this What is this all going to have an effect on the, the ability for, obviously, Alberta to, to produce as much honey as it normally would? So is there economic blowback that we're anticipating here? Yeah, I think that we're expecting... Um, with a with a reduction in the numbers of bees, of course, there'll be a reduction in the numbers of hives and colonies producing honey. Uh, and so, just to kind of get a picture, a, a honeybee colony will produce anywhere from 150 to just over 200 pounds of honey each hive mm-hmm. annually or seasonally. And so, we're down, say, maybe 50,000 hives. That would be that kind of a reduction in honey production. Wow. With the pandemic influence and not having the workers in place to support the industry, I'm wondering, is this, uh, you have to uh, excuse my ignorance when it comes to bees versus, you know, uh, typical agriculture or typical industry, is this something that can be caught up on? Like, for example, if we were to get the workers in in the next 30 days, can there be a game of catch-up or is it just super seasonal? Well, it, it is. It's uh, this industry is very seasonal. It really kicks off in March and then wraps up in about October, once it gets too cold for the bees to be out. And we did get some workers to come in. Um, the challenge was most of them came in quite late, and then once they got here, of course, just like everyone else has to do, there was a mandatory 14-day isolation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of workers weren't getting out into the field until kind of early May. So that's already six weeks into a very short season. Is it too late for folks to to get hives and to sort of be bee step parents? I know a couple of people who now have done that on their property. Is it too late to get involved in that this season? Um, I it it may be. I don't know that beekeepers would be wanting to move hives around. But if there's people <laughs> there's people interested in being step parents, they could contact us at the commission and let us know. I think beekeepers are always looking for new spots to put their uh, to put their hives, especially some of the larger ones. They may have their hives scattered over a hundred kilometer area just to make sure there's enough forage for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was it was difficult to uh, get replacement what we call packages of bees. And they early in the season, there's normally about twenty thousand packages or so shipped in from Australia and New Zealand and Chile, but because the airlines had stopped flying, it wasn't. We weren't able to get those packages in as well. So the, the buildup or replacing the lost bees or the lost number of colonies will probably take about two to three years to catch back up to where we were. Yeah, what Sue had mentioned, uh, being a foster parent to these bees, <laughs> that, that's pretty ambitious. What can uh, us regular folks do uh, to be bee-friendly and to promote the species? 
Well, I think that uh, for all pollinators, it's always good to um, uh, have like a pollinator garden in your yard if you can or boxes. And if you're concerned, there's a lot of people that are concerned about having bees close to their houses. But if you plant that those flowers kind of around the outside edge of your yard, um, that's always really helpful to bring bees in. And it's always good forage. And there's a few websites like pollinator.org that actually have regional, that will make recommendations on what type of foliage to plant okay. uh, based on what part of the country that you live in. So the, there's some really good resources on those on those kinds of things. Fantastic. And uh, albertabeekeepers.ca if you want to uh, reach Connie and the uh, the uh, board there. So thank you so much for joining us this morning and, and explaining what's going on. And, and hopefully we can all help out and do our part to keep the bee population up. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. That's Connie Phillips, Executive Director of the Alberta Beekeepers Commission. Good stuff there. And I'm fine with having the bees in my yard. It's the wasps that I hate. And the murder hornets. We don't we don't need those. You know, remember that kind of died. Yeah. Because we were worried that everybody was going to have murder hornets chasing us down oh, the Oh, don't worry. 2020 is not over yet, Andy. Oh, that's a good point. Hey, this is really important. I think we should point this out to folks. Uh, interesting news. Over-the-counter prescription service now is going to let Albertans skip the doctor's clinic in some cases. So this is what's happening at some Rexall stores, specially trained prescribing pharmacists at Rexall stores will now be able to issue prescriptions quickly and safely. So avoiding us having to go and sit in the doctor's office, take up the doctor's time simply to get a prescription. So they're trying to make things a little more efficient for us here in the province of Alberta. Makes a heck of a lot of sense. And uh, they'll do a a big run through of what you need, what your, your issues might be. And if possible, they will be able to prescribe. And it sounds like just about everything to you from birth control to diaper rash to diabetes and eczema so just about anything and everything if you go to rexall they might be able to help you out instead of going to the doctor they're saying here that uh, the pharmacist can prescribe all drugs except narcotics Mm -hmm. and controlled substances and so to your point particularly during this covid time if you're having to go to the doctor's office then to the pharmacist, this eliminates, uh, you know, all that driving right. around in a time of social distancing. This is a good answer for sure. Saves time, saves germs, saves it all. It's uh, 917 now and it's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's newest and best master planned community. Beautiful dry road conditions across the city to start your Friday morning and so far seeing a fairly light drive on Deerfoot, Glenmore and Crowchild trails. We have been following our Calgary Stampede Parade Marshal Felipe as he makes his way through the city in the northwest, currently along Bonus Road eastbound and making their way down towards Parkdale Boulevard and then eventually Memorial Drive towards the Stampede Grounds. So so watch for those rolling slowdowns if it's going to be on your route. Also, if you're heading out of town towards the mountain parks for the weekend, Highway 1 is still shut down in Bonus both directions just west of Revelstoke for flooding. There is a detour in place, um, but no word yet on when that will fully open. A message from Canadian Blood Services. Right now, the need for blood is rising and every appointment needs to be filled. Book now at blood.ca. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Coming up on 710... And uh, the U.S. logging a record 50,000 new cases of COVID-19 for the past two days in a row. But that doesn't seem to be stopping millions of Americans from planning to celebrate the 4th of July with friends and family. With all the details, we're checking in this morning with Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, Jackson Prosco. Hi, Jackson. Good morning. Boy, everybody's ready to party this weekend and not letting a pandemic stop them, that's for sure. 
Yeah, it really depends on where you are. I think there's sort of a stark geographical divide as to how willing people are to get out there and celebrate. And it seems like the further south you go, which is where more and more of the cases are, the more willing people are to actually get out there, get into big crowds and, and try and celebrate this weekend as though there's no pandemic going on. These new cases, and as you mentioned, at 50,000 a day for the past couple of days, I think the total of deaths around that 130,000 mark at this point. Uh, for the states that have tightened up, uh, obviously looking to move in the right direction, are we hearing about any other states added to that list, or is it kind of status quo with the exception of the, the majors that are under those huge numbers? No, we're up to 17 states now that have either paused or completely rolled back their reopening plans. Uh, New York City, which has things under control compared to where they were, for example, has now said that there will not be a return to indoor dining. They've suspended that idea indefinitely, and it was supposed to have started up on Monday. Uh, here in Washington, D.C., they're proceeding very cautiously, and it's not clear that they'll actually proceed to the next phase of reopening, which would allow for uh, indoor dining in restaurants above 25% capacity. Those plans could well end up being on hold. Uh, and they're even telling people, you know, for 4th of July here in D.C., stay home and watch the fireworks on TV. Typically, you'd have two or 300,000 people go down to the National Mall, and they're saying, please don't this year. Wow, we're just seeing actually uh, online there. CDC is predicting 160,000 deaths in the U.S. by July 25. Yeah, it is a grim situation. I know some people are quick to point out that uh, the fact that we've got huge surges in daily case numbers have not been met with a huge surge in deaths. And in fact, daily deaths have started to decline on the whole. Uh, but you have to remember that deaths and even hospitalizations are what the medical experts call lagging indicators. In other words, you get sick, but then it takes a few weeks for you to end up in the hospital. And a few weeks after that is when patients start dying. And we have seen some of these hard hit states already start to set new local records for daily deaths. Uh, essentially, they're preparing for what's going to be a tsunami of deaths and hospitalizations in the coming weeks, all stemming from these huge numbers of daily infections that we're seeing right now. Obviously, the numbers are serious. And uh, we did hear uh, in the past, I think, 48 hours, Donald Trump uh, somewhat uh, softened his stance when it uh, comes to masks. And he actually made a, a bit of a joke about it saying, oh, you know, I, I did consider wearing a mask. I kind of look like the Lone Ranger when I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> do you think that this indicates that he's uh, taking it seriously or do you think that his people are, uh, you know, forcing that issue upon him? You know, I think he has softened in the uh, smallest possible amount he could to be able to then claim that he is promoting the wearing of masks. He has still not worn one in public, which is what everyone is calling on him to do as a sign to those who are doubtful about the need to wear a mask. They're saying, look, if the president came out and did this on camera, it would be a huge signal to the American public. You also have to remember that uh, just a few weeks ago in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Trump actually came out and said he feels that people who do wear masks are sometimes doing so to signal their opposition to him. So he has personally made a mess of this. His own Surgeon General was out there this morning on uh, morning TV shows doing interviews and was asked, why no federal mask mandate? And he simply said, well, it's up to individuals to decide what uh, what they want to do, but we'll support them if they want to wear masks. I mean, there there is no leadership on this issue coming at the federal level, even though it is universally supported by healthcare experts. And potentially that could have an effect on the election. I mean, we're seeing, you know, Biden out raising money, uh, you know, outraising Trump for the second straight month in terms of you know fundraising and then this group 43 alumni for Biden this is interesting that we're hearing there is a group of high profile Republicans who will be backing Joe Biden and not Donald Trump 
Yeah, and there's also uh, increasing word from some of Trump's high-profile donors, like billionaire Peter Thiel, who believe that he may not be able to win anymore, and they're sort of starting to keep their distance now. Kind of two things have happened here. One is that Trump's uh, presidential approval ratings are starting to tank, and Biden is leading him in the polls nationally and in many of those key battleground states. And the other thing is that Trump's approval specifically for handling the crisis, the pandemic, is uh, tanking. I mean, he's getting abysmal approval numbers for his handling of of this crisis and he can't escape that at this point you know this week he came out and said he again thinks it's just going to go away on its own and that things are fully under control how can you say that when we had 56,000 new infections yesterday and mm-hmm. 52,000 the day before that and there are warnings of a hundred thousand daily infections uh, in the not too distant future Joe Biden uh, a couple of days ago had his first uh, press conference uh, official press conference uh, in, in a couple of months, I know he's been uh, stumping here and there. Uh, but I- as far as uh, that indication, do you think this is going to continue? We're going to see a ramp up of the Biden campaign. Was that the uh, signal that is really going to start to to ramp up? Yeah, I think you'll see more and more targeted events. I think the Biden campaign is also cognizant of the fact that at this point, they don't need to do much. They don't need to go on the attack against Trump because he's already suffering from dismal approval ratings, specifically over coronavirus. So really, all Biden has to do is project sort of this hopeful message, uh, show that he's an experienced leader, and that, they believe, is the secret sauce here, the winning formula. Uh, Competent leadership is probably the two-word slogan that Biden is going to run on at this point. Jackson, let's talk about Fourth of July. Obviously, a huge weekend in the U.S. Uh, what will you be doing? And, and what do most is it just sort of a, a get together and, and celebrate with friends sort of weekend? Yeah, for most people, it is, uh, you know, it is a get together. It's a a backyard barbecue, a cookout, as people like to call it down here. Uh, That's typically it. Uh, Lots of people, you know, set off fireworks in their own neighborhoods as well, even though they're not supposed to. And that's actually been a huge thing on the rise right across the U.S. in the past few weeks because people are quite frankly bored. Uh, But no, I will not be going down to the celebrations. And I don't think most people will. It's just uh, it's too soon for most people. And uh, after everything we've been through down here in terms of the, the severity of the lockdown that we went through in Washington, Washington, even though things are slowly opening back up, uh, I I think there's a consensus that most people don't want to risk it and and nobody's rushing to get back out there. Well, uh, Jackson, uh, happy belated Canada Day to you (laughs) and uh, happy 4th of July. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. And it never fails as soon as we talk to Jackson, as we do at this time every Friday. The Trump fans get online and get very upset uh, about the fact that people are saying things against Donald Trump. But, I mean, you can't argue the stats, the facts, the, the, the supporters that are starting to line up behind Joe Biden because Donald Trump just has not... Whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's not shown leadership through this pandemic. And with the mask issue, it just makes it that much worse. So, sorry, we're not Trump bashing. We're talking to our yeah. uh, our, our reporter down in Washington who lives all of this. He's the bureau chief in Washington for Global News. And uh, he's got his finger on the pulse of things in the States. Morning, and Trump bashing. This is the fresh text. <laughs> Morning, Trump bashing. Haha, you just can't resist, can you? Well, I'll tell you what. You find different numbers for the amount of deaths in the U.S. again. Send them in. They're between 129,000 and 131 because they change so quickly. Mm-hmm. You find the states that have flared up uh, 50,000 cases. But you find something different than that, send, us, send it your way. These are factual numbers. Uh, is that bashing a president? 
This is a dire case of COVID-19 in the USA. I don't consider that bashing, but uh, different strokes for different folks. Oh, we're clueless, according to that texter. Okay, well, thank you anyway. So uh, that is our U.S. politics segment. We'll move it along now, and it's time for helicopter traffic at 717. Brought to you by West District by Truman. Enjoy spectacular views of the city skyline and the Rocky Mountains.